I'm Rachel Martin. You probably know how interview podcasts with famous people usually go. There's a host, a guest, and a light Q&A. But on Wildcard, we have ripped up the typical script. It's a new podcast from NPR where I invite actors, artists, and comedians to play a game using a special deck of cards to talk about some of life's biggest questions. Listen to Wildcard wherever you get your podcasts. Only from NPR. Marley knows exactly where she was when it happened. What do you remember when you first saw him? What do you remember about him? We've, like, run into each other before, but we hadn't, like, really officially hung out. And I was at a bar drinking ginger ale, and I, like, looked over really fast, and he was standing in the doorway, and the light above him, like, flickered. And it was I was like, oh, my God. And I was like, my whole life is going to change right now. This moment was when it clicked for Marley and for John, the guy in the flickering light. You know, Marley's standing there and just turns around and instantly was this reception of like, wow, you're here in the flesh. So it was uh, it was very dramatic. And it was this kind of destiny feeling moment that happened. And that was a, a really significant night. Freeze this image in your mind for just a minute. Because things changed for Marley and John. They got married They built an arts community together in Grand Rapids, Michigan. They shared everything. In the end, though, it didn't work. But there is a happy ending for this couple. It just turns out differently than you might expect. From the Boston Globe and PRX, this is Love Letters. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Before we get to John and Marley and their story, I want to talk about intuition, because it's a word that comes up a lot when I ask people how they knew something in a relationship. They'll say it was intuition that pulled them in one direction instead of another, or told them it was time to stay or time to leave. But when we get a feeling like that, how do we know what it's trying to tell us? To get at this question, I turned to two voices of wisdom. Well, my name is Jackie Olds. And mine is Richard Schwartz. And we got married in 1978, August 26th. We're both psychiatrists, and we also write books together, including one about lasting marriage. And we do couples therapy as well. Jackie and Richard teach at Harvard, among other places, and have their own lasting marriage. They're experts in more ways than one. So when you hear someone say, well, I just knew, what do you think they mean? There is something mysterious about it. There is something romantic about it. And uh, it's very hard to say what that is. But uh, I think it starts with just a, a feeling of, uh, of rightness and attraction. But we have that about lots of people, and then it doesn't pan out. So the, the, the next step is the, is the hard one. From there, Jackie says, you have to sort out whether this feeling of knowing is infatuation that will soon burn out, or whether it's something more. And the way you do that, she says, is by looking for things she calls confirming evidence. As you go on more dates and spend more time together, are there more flickers of that initial feeling? Those unconscious little signals they were getting that made them feel it was just right were, in fact, correct signals. 
A thing I talked about with Jackie and Richard was how love can take many forms as couples move through different stages. What we're looking for in a partner at 25 might be different than what we're seeking later in life. Moving from some degree of a more passionate love to a more companionate love and therefore knowing uh, more as you are older that this is this is the companion I want uh, rather than this is the lover I want, even though uh, they're, they're both different types of love. Sometimes when I'm working with a young person who is kind of panicked about tying the knot because they say, I don't think I could stand being with the same person for 50 years. You know, how, how do you even imagine that? That just sounds like death. And I often point out that things change every decade in such a major way that it's really not the same person in the, quite the same relationship. It changes enormously with children, with new locations and new jobs and new stages of development. One of the questions, like biting on a wooden nickel, that you ask when you want to know if the person is the one is, how would the future look without them? And if you can't quite imagine it, then that could be a kind of knowing, even if you're a person who's a doubter by nature. What Jackie and Richard have to say about knowing applies to Marley and John, the couple you heard from at the top of the show. They kept asking that specific question, what would life be without each other, as their relationship evolved from a conventional-looking marriage into something pretty unique. Before that aha moment in the bar, John and Marley had met through mutual friends. Marley ran an all-ages music venue in downtown Grand Rapids, John was a musician and photographer. I talked to them separately for this story. When I moved here, she became an instant companion to me, showed me around the city. I sort of was his little host to living in a new city. We would ride bikes everywhere and hang out and swim. Soon after John settles in Grand Rapids, their relationship takes off. John was ending another relationship at the time. He had just moved from Chicago. And so we were both sort of being gentle towards that ending and transitioning. But yeah, my like crush on him was like really extreme right away. So I think once he was like ready to transition with that relationship, I think we were just sort of both on board to give it a try. Yeah, it felt serious pretty much right away. A few years into the relationship, Marley and John decide they want to get married. I was 22 when we started dating, 24 when we got engaged. And I think that the progression was just sort of like, I just want to be married. Like, isn't that what you do now? Like, isn't that what you do when you're in your 20s? I'm a woman. I marry a man. We're going to have babies. We live in West Michigan. Like, even as a non-religious person, it was just sort of like, let's do this. One of the reasons their union feels so natural is that they've made such an impact together on the art scene in Grand Rapids. Our lives are so compatible. You know, we're both social organizers. We're community organizers. We made a huge splash here. It was kind of this whole, wow, you guys are a power couple. 
just moving and shaking and really enriching the culture here in Grand Rapids. And so we're kind of, yeah, let's take it there. Let's keep this rolling. You know, we're at the gambling table. Just, okay, let's keep, let's throw some more money in. Let's see what happens. I would say it was a non-traditional proposal masked publicly as a traditional proposal. We ordered the ring and it came a little sooner than we thought it would. This is Marley's engagement ring. And the day that it came, Marley was uh, producing this event called SassFest, which was like a maker's market in Grand Rapids. And I had to go back home to get something or like get a snack for us to bring back or there's something left at the house. And I saw that the ring had arrived. So I grabbed the ring and I'm thinking, sweet, the ring's here. I'll, I'll bring it to Marley. She can try it on. As I'm driving, I call my best friend, Jamie, and I said, Jamie, Marley's ring is here. And he's like, are you going to propose to her, dude? And I said, well, I don't know. I hadn't really thought about that. He's like, you got to go propose to her, man. John proposes to Marley in front of all their friends at the event. It becomes this impromptu engagement ceremony. The wedding happens. It's dreamy. It's on the oldest organic farm in Michigan in Bangor. May of 2013, there's baby goats. There's peacocks. The wedding was really incredible. I think there may be two to three hundred people there. We have an epic dance party. It's featured on Etsy's wedding blog. It's just, it's a smash, it's a smash hit. You know, it was a great night. Great night. One of the best nights of my life. You invite everybody who means something to you in your world to be there with you and to stand with you at this moment, this pinnacle moment and life choice that you're making. And uh, I kind of like created this like funnel uh, metaphor. You know, it's all this energy and all these people come in and funnel in to this one moment in time, the hourglass, and then this moment happens and you're married. And then it all shoots out the other side. It was a really special day. It was really magical and enchanted. It's 2013. Their first year of marriage is exciting and new. But a couple of years in, the daily routine of living together begins to expose some fundamental differences. I couldn't clean the dishes fast enough, or I wasn't cooking enough, or I wasn't patient enough with John. We weren't really seeing each other's gifts. Like, something happened along the way where... John wasn't seeing my gifts and I wasn't seeing his. And so we were just sort of seeing like all the ways that we weren't showing love for the other person. Um, and I got addicted to working. Addiction was something that Marley had struggled with prior to meeting John. Before that night at the bar, she decided to quit drinking. During their marriage, work becomes another addiction Marley can't quite control. She's always on her phone. 
often distracted, even at family events. There's a lot of tension between them. Marley also feels that John isn't able to give her everything she needs from a romantic partner. At the breaking point, which was July of 2015, I think we were just both annoyed and really burnt out. My requests couldn't be respected, and I'd have to continually say them and bring them up, and it just got to the point of exhaustion, and then to the point of just, I have to give up. I was mean to her, and I I said hurtful things, and I did hurtful things, and, you know, in hindsight, looking back, it's... It's not that she's an irresponsible person. It's, this is part of what addiction looks like. I was sort of like, do we separate? Marley decides she isn't ready to give up on the marriage. Instead, she suggests something else. We decided to open up our relationship. We'll be back with Marley and John after this short break. We're back. Marley breaks it to John that she wants to open the relationship. He had just come back from a mixing session in Chicago where he was working on a record. Marley sits him down and says she wants to see other people. I just remembered being in shock. I couldn't really say anything. I wasn't there to fight with her. I wasn't throwing anything back in her face. I just listened and accepted what was being said and was just kind of like, yeah, you do what you got to do. And just being really passive about it. And it hurt. I mean, I just remember feeling the deepest levels of sadness and betrayal that I've ever felt in my life. But John thinks about the state of the marriage and the fact that he's unhappy, too. It was definitely a low point for me. But oddly, was so strange that she would go do this and then she'd come back and be the same loving, caring companion to me. She would hug me and hold me, and so it was something that was really new, and I'm experiencing all of these mixed emotions and not really understanding what this was and not really having seen any examples of this. Marley starts dating someone else during this period, someone she says she had feelings for in the past. Marley's sexuality has evolved, she says. I was in love with both of them at the same time, and it was harder for John at first. But the marriage is open for him, too. It was an interesting kind of feeling, because dating people is fun. Meeting people is really fun for me. It doesn't have to be a sexual thing. The first date I went on was with uh, a woman named Sam, and she was a musician, and we just talked about music and got to know each other. She's a Scorpio like me. And it was really gentle and really fun and easy and nothing really romantic happened. Then I went back home and talked to Marley and told her that I went on this date. Marley was kind of like, tell me all about it. Like, how you feeling? And it was, it's really interesting. This whole kind of new dimension opens up of like, wow, you can do that. 
you can talk this way. As they feel their way around this open marriage, John and Marley have to establish new boundaries for the relationship. Does it feel okay if I date this person? Does it feel okay if I spend the night with this person? We're all going to be at this same public event, you know? So it was just a lot of asking each other questions and then and being willing to sort of pivot when it was like this person or this thing actually doesn't feel good to me anymore. But as the two of them continue this period of experimentation and openness, they hit a wall. You know, I don't think it was polyamory that didn't work, as we see monogamous relationships fail every day. But I think that it was sort of our inability to, as a couple, really look at, you know, we put a nice Band-Aid on what was broken, and it made it easier in some ways because we got what we were looking for from other people, but we didn't really fix what we needed to in our home life. In 2016, John and Marley decide to get a divorce. I felt a lot of shame in in my angle, you know, going back to the funnel metaphor of like, I brought every single person who meant something to me in my life to one space for a single moment, and I brought them there to trust me. And I said, trust me, y'all, I'm doing this. I want your blessing. And then to even think about divorce, is like, oh no, every single person who I care about in my life, who I told to trust me, now I'm letting them down. I'm breaking my trust. They trusted me. But as painful as this ending is, John and Marley's divorce actually becomes the start of something new, something they couldn't have seen at the time. We actually got divorced on the same day that we got married, May 25th. And we, yeah, we had a a divorce ceremony. I think that the ceremony was kind of our last chance to sit with each other and talk and really rethink it and, and ask the questions, is this correct? Is this what we both want? The ceremony takes place at a house in Grand Rapids. There's a pool in the backyard. Before we went to the pool, we sat under a willow tree and we... Cried and, you know, I was sort of still in this place where I was like, are we sure, you know? Like, are we really sure? Like, this is it. I think I was pretty sure. I was convinced that this is what needs to happen for me. And it was sad. I think that she had more apprehension. And he was just like, Marley, it doesn't really matter if you're sure or not. Like, we're past the point of making a mutual decision. Like, I've made a decision. I signed those papers, and then we um, stood on either side of the pool, and we just said really sweet things to each other back and forth, just sort of like, I'm always here for you. I'm your family. Let's go to the pool. (laughs) Let's jump in together. And then we jumped in the pool at the same time as a little baptism moment. A baptism, (laughs) if you will. As sad as they both felt, Marley says, she reflected on what they had promised each other at their wedding ceremony. 
and what they didn't. Yeah, our vows never said, you know, till death do us part or we will be together forever. And I think that we did it because we had this sort of feeling like that's just not realistic. Like people get divorced all the time. I don't want to be trapped in something that's unhealthy. Marley's first move after the divorce is to begin dating someone new. It's a distraction and it doesn't last forever. Then it all hits her. John is gone. It was really, I think, the saddest I've ever felt in my whole life. You know, I haven't taken a drink in over eight years, and it was, I think, the one time that I really, really, really wanted to drink. I think I had come to terms with understanding that we weren't a correct match for partnership. I think I just missed him and missed the comfort of our home that we'd been in for five years. And I remember laying on my rug and like, like, like feeling like an animal. John and Marley's story could end with this breakup, but it doesn't. Some time passes after the divorce. They remain in touch, but not much. They both spend time in other cities. John winds up playing music for a couple of dance classes Marley is teaching. They're slowly figuring out how to be friends. At one point, though, both of them need housing. A mutual friend of theirs with an empty house back in Grand Rapids makes a wild suggestion. What if they both moved in together as roommates? And I was just like, that's insane. That is the craziest idea I've ever heard. I pretty much immediately call John, tell him. He's like, no, that's what are you even talking about? But the situation is kind of perfect for the kind of lives they're living. They talk about it and decide, why not give it a try? John and I are big gift givers. And so a lot of both of our belongings, like sweet belongings, like ceramics and like paintings and like art, are things we gave each other. Like seeing like a basket I'd given him or a bowl that we got at our wedding that he still had or like, you know, a wool blanket that I had that he gave me. It was like, it was just really trippy to like see it all together. It's weird at first, yes. But here's the thing their relationship as friends, it's easier, more functional. They're finally able to see each other's gifts. They keep the important parts of what they had, but on entirely new terms. They're polite and cordial and enjoy each other's company. They're grateful for it, even. They host dinner parties together. It's the natural progression of their relationship. They're not living together anymore, but both say they've remained really close. Marley even describes them as best friends— Marley's now in a serious relationship with a woman. When you think about that question, like, how do you know, and you think back to the things you knew or thought you knew, it does sound like that cho- that very first choice about marriage had more to do with these external expectations. With John, it was like the dramatic light flickering moment. I knew. I was like, I know. Like, I know that everything's different now. And I think by the time I said to him, I want to open the relationship. I think I knew then that we weren't going to be partners anymore. And it was just too scary. At that point, I think I did know. And I think maybe he knew. And it was, but it was like, we we have to put a little more work into this to really know. And then, and then we did. And then we really knew. I feel weird asking you this question, knowing we're talking about your ex-husband, but um, is it, Sad not living with him right now. <laughs> I imagine that's a, a second adjustment. 
It is a second adjustment. You know, it's funny. We just went to our dear friend's wedding together as each other's date, (laughs) which that felt really funny to, like, show up to the wedding with all of our, like, young married couple friends who, like, all got married maybe, like, around the same time or before after us who, like, now have kids. And, like, we're just like, hey, what's up? It's us, your favorite divorced couple showing up to the wedding together. What would you tell a a person now who's thinking that they want to take a really great relationship, a loving relationship, and bring it to the next level? What should they know when making that choice? I think what you should know is that change is inevitable and change is within us. And it's not always controllable. It's one thing that you can anticipate. Um, this is just an example of one that that really worked out. She and I were both really surprised and delighted that we could make this this collaboration work. There are many aspirational parts of this story just about self-reflection and also just the potential you can have with one person over many years and the number of forms a relationship can take. Um, you know, maybe you're not promising forever in one way, but you're getting it anyway, right? <laughs> and there's no better way to say it. That's so true. Yeah. Our relationship is probably healthier now than it ever was before. From the moment that Marley and John saw each other in that bar, they felt this pang of intuition. They knew they'd be important to each other. What I love about their story is that through their marriage, the opening of their marriage, divorce, and living together as friends again, they've retained that feeling. We often glorify the idea of forever marriage, that it's the ideal form of love and commitment. But this story makes me see there are other ways. Jackie and Richard are married marriage experts would say, it's important to ask yourself, what would life look like without this other person? Marley and John found their own healthy way of not letting each other go. They may have been wrong about the form their relationship would take, but their intuition about each other, turns out, it was spot on. This song is by Strawberry Heritage, one of John's bands. It's called Light from the Inside. Love Letters is a production of the Boston Globe and PRX. Our senior producer is Amy Padula. Our executive producer is Scott Hellman. Ned Porter does our audio mixing, sound design, and mastering. Devin Smith is our audience engagement manager. Special thanks to Brian McGorry and Linda Henry. Our music is from APM. Are you trying to figure out how to know something in your relationship? Do you have another love problem? I want to hear from you. Email the team at loveletters at boston.com or find us on Twitter at loveletters.blog. And if you like the show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Learn more at loveletters.show. And I'll leave you today with this point from marriage expert Jackie Olds. You sort of have to cultivate your capacity to love. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, really, if there's only one, what are the odds mine would live in Massachusetts? <laughs> right, yeah. I just can't, exactly, I can't, yeah. I can't deal with that reality. <laughs> How many more till it's done? Life from the inside will only be lessened. I'm Meredith Goldstein. Thanks for listening.